On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, I had to contain myself uh, for this interview because I was super excited. We've got a legend. I don't think I've interviewed a guest that has started a trend that has gone continent-wide and I would like to say worldwide. And I loved sitting down with Shagan. I remember meeting him for the first time. I had a fangirl moment, but also just intrigued by his personality, his attitude to work, his attitude to pleasing his clients and just, you know, to be in a position where you make or break someone's one of their most important days or moments, or even just be contributing to their appearance. It's incredible to to sit with him, talk about his journey, talk about how he's transitioned, talk about the second chapter of his life and where he's going. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did and you'll catch me asking I don't know, five questions in one go, but I'm really enjoying the season and I hope you guys are too. Please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, in our community, in the comments, engage with us, leave us a comment and I hope you're enjoying the newsletters too because I'm enjoying putting out some useful tips. Uh, Sign up at thirdcultureafricans.com. Welcome to another episode of Third Culture Africans. I am your host, Zezo Sal. I created the show as a resource for our community of Africans and African diaspora. A safe and honest place to share, inspire, motivate, and most importantly, celebrate those in our communities doing purposeful work and shifting the needle on our culture. Your support is invaluable to the show, so please subscribe or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. You are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. Hi, Shagun. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Hi, it's my pleasure. Let's just jump right into the episode. I would start off with saying, actually, maybe I should say, hello, Hakim, Olua Shegun, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, aka the infamous Shegun Gilly. Yes, actually, if you want to go that route, my full names are Hakim Olua Shegun, Olua Shei, Martins, Victor, Olaleye, that is the complete name. Yes, Martin, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to welcome to the show, Martin. I didn't know your middle name. I didn't like you had Shayi and Martin. Yes. You know what? You seldomly give interviews or anything of that nature. So I'm super excited to have you on the show. If anyone is a miss for who you are. There once was a time where people used to go to traditional African ceremonies and have no headgear or headgear that was not so styled. And you are the man famous for creating a continent-wide trend of headgear at weddings. Like, have you ever processed that? Not really, you know, but looking back at everything right now, I mean, I just had a flashback to 1996, 97, when the wedding industry just started, you know, and I'm just looking at it. And how did I transition? You know, because I was actually known as a hairstylist, actually a hairdresser, not even stylist. <laughs> you know, back in the days in Lasso, I had a salon. Okay, for anyone that doesn't know what Lasso is, what's Lasso? Because like our listeners are everywhere. Okay, so it's Lagos State University. That's where in I graduated Nigeria. from. Yes, in Nigeria with a bachelor's in English language, hence why I speak like a bird. I am actually this child that's, I like to put my hands on so many things. You know, I I don't want to be a jack of all, master of none. No. Once I lay my hands on it, I try to teach myself and get myself better at the skill. I started helping my mom doing her hair because every time she wants to go to the salon, nobody to do her hair for her. She doesn't like it. So I started helping my mom at home, you know, and from helping my mom, helping my sister, people started asking, can you help me? Can you help me? You know, and from doing that, some lady was frustrated one Christmas. I volunteered to help her and I started earning money. And, you know, from there, I 
opened my own salon. I started doing brides' hair, you know, and I would look at the brides and their makeup is horrible. And I'll be like, okay, you know what? Can you buy? Back in the days, it was um, Flurry Roberts, the powder. Yes. Oh God. The compact powder, yes, Flurry Roberts. You know, you know what? Just buy this, buy the eyebrow pencil, buy the lip liner, buy your eyeshadow. I will help you to apply. And I tried my the best way I could. It will now go into the traditional wedding. They just put the hair tie on the head. I'll be like, okay, you know what? I know I helped my mom. Let me see if I can help you. And that was how I transitioned from being a hairdresser into a makeup artist. I started acquiring my own stuff, you know, and going into the gilly industry. Was there even a gilly industry though? Like, No, that's what I'm even saying. It was never even a thing, right? Like I, I remember my mom going to like traditional ceremonies. And to be honest, like I just remember her just wrapping it on her head and halfway through anyway, she took it off. It was like one of those things that like, it wasn't a statement. It was just (laughs) a thing that completed the outfit. It was exactly, it was just a thing that completed the outfit, you know? So I was just doing me. I was just doing me back then. I never thought this is where it will bring me thus far. So that's why they say never despise your days of little beginning. This is, yes, this is actually what it is. A hundred percent. I'm trying to like create like a timeline here, right? So 96, doing hairdressing, were you good at it? Oh, I was good at it. I had a salon back in school. If you if you know anybody that attended Lagos State University, Lasso, ask them if they knew of a Shegun. It used to be um, Shegsi's Beauty Clinic. You know, Stop. I did braids. You're a university student on campus with your own brick and mortar salon. Yes. As in a physical location where you were renting. So what were you doing when you were at lectures? At lectures, I go to school. I go for my lectures and once I close, I open my salon. You remember the days of Million Braids when it started? Yes. We started it. Million Braids are those really tiny, tiny braids, right? Those tiny million braids, yes. I had stylists that I employed from Cotonou and Port Novo. You know, it was a border with Badagri. You know, so I had stylists that worked for me. I actually accommodated them. Boss. You were accommodating them in university accommodation while you are still a university student. Well, so I lived Stop off campus. It. I yes. lived off campus because um, Lasso was a non-residential university. So we actually had our own campuses. But um, I had my salon in one of the um, neighborhoods where we had lots of students that lived there. So I rented a place for them to stay, you know. And I mean, it was people came all the way from Benin, Kaduna, University of Kaduna, University of Joss, University of Ibadan, all over Nigeria to get their hair braided. So your first community was in the university community. Correct. Correct. And then obviously these university students graduate, they get good jobs. And you're still their guy, or you're now you're now transcending into a different group in society and building your business. So that was how I actually transitioned because um all these people doing their braids, um doing their weaves when they get married or when they have friends that want to get married, they actually refer me, they recommend me. So that was how it actually all started by word of mouth and I promise you I actually never advertised. You know, so they'll just tell me, "Oh, a friend of mine is getting married, you know, come and do her hair." And um what I used to do then was I get to see their wedding invitation and based on the invitation how expensive it is, I charge them. Stop it. Your price was never set. It fluctuated no. based on... The, based the, on the, the wedding invitation. Uh-huh. <laughs> Goodness, you'd have ripped me off because I, I love good looking things, but I don't have that kind of paper. What? I mean, so... I, I tell people, people, I, I, another thing I know I have is I'm a good negotiating skill. If you have to thrive in this industry, you know, there are some things you need to know. You need to be cognizant of. Wedding invitations has been a big deal from inception. So when you see a good one, you can tell, oh, these people are loaded. Because I, I've gone to do weddings and when I walk into the compound of those people and I'll be like, why did I undersell myself? To be fair, weddings for me, right? Like when I got married, I honestly felt like we were being scammed. Because if I said it was a party, it wouldn't cost me 
anything near what it, what it cost me. But saying that, I must say, like your hairstylist on the day, like I wasn't taking any chances. Like I got married further away from where we lived in like a completely different state, right? Like in, I, I got married in Western Cape. And at the time I was living in Johannesburg and I flew out my hairstylist from Johannesburg because like that was a necessary expense. So I can see how your business in terms of people flying you out to do their hair and then, okay, it's like, okay, who does my makeup, right? I I can see how that develops. But then what I don't see is where the gilly stuff comes into like the picture. Cause that, that is the thing that created your mega stardom, right? Like that, that's the thing that's given you your own documentary. Yes. Taking a look at it now that we're talking about it is I have always had this culture of as long as the client is satisfied. You know, most times, a lot of times, a lot of event planners are threatened by me working with them, you know, because this kind of a person, once I see there is a void, I want to fill it. You know, as long as we have a satisfied client at the end of the day, that is all that mattered. Even if you did not pay me to do the job or even if you did not pay me to do the service, because guess what? It's all about the client at the end of the day. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, so some have certain strengths, some have their weaknesses in certain areas. And since I see myself as that person that can do so much, I did your hair. Yes, quite all right. I was hired to do your hair. But when they take your picture and your makeup is looking horrible, it's not going to, my hair is not going to look good in that picture. So I volunteer to help them with their makeup. Okay. And when they even do their makeup and the traditional and you see their hair tie not looking, you know, at par, I volunteer to help them do their makeup. It's just like styling a bride today. I'm not going to say because I'm only styling the bride, I don't care for what the groom looks like. No, the groom has to look on point as well you know so even if it's going to take me just recommending who to have his suit made who to have him styled what color to match what the bride is going to wear because they are going to become a couple and by the time they take their picture they have to look perfect together i've seen pictures where the couple you just put something over the groom's face or they cut it off i don't want that so that is just me that is me and i think that has really really helped me to grow in my industry hence the transition from hairdressing to makeup to Gilly and I am thankful to God because when I relocated to America in 2001 I never knew what they called social security number I did not know it gets cold in America all I knew was Hamatan in Nigeria which we never experienced in Lagos coming to America I mean I am that Hakeem you know, coming to America, I came as a blank slate. I came in the middle of winter. I came in the linen shirts and palm slippers. You didn't get the summer transition. No, summer transition. I didn't even know the weather changes in America. Oh, stop it. Yes, I'm, I mean, I'm being frank with you. So coming into the U.S. for the first time in November without a jacket, without gloves, without appropriate clothes, I would have just died. What state did you land in? New York. Oh, goodness. In November. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. You land in New York. You come out the airport. And at this point, do you know what you're going to do in the U.S.? This is the first time I'm telling this story. I've never told it before. I am one of those people, they tell, oh, come on, you stay with me and you get to America and you call the person you're supposed to stay with. They're supposed to pick you up and they don't pick you up at the airport. They leave you at the airport. They dump you. They abandon you at the airport. Okay. So your goal for leaving is, are you saying I'm going because I'm going for greener pastures or I can see myself growing my business or I'm going to for further education? Like what was the motivation to leave? Like what was slowly catching on? Because at this point, you're not 100% Shegungeli, right? No, I wasn't even Shegungeli. I'm going to tell you how the name Shegungeli came. While I was in the university, probably in my year one or year two, I had my salon, like I rightly said, and I had a lot of people when they come on vacation to Nigeria, they come get their hair braided with me. I don't want to interject, but hold on. Let's throw this into context, actually, of 1996. You're a straight guy with a salon doing hair. Yes. First and foremost, paint the picture of what the industry looked like at that time in terms of demography. Like if I think of 96, right, I I moved to the UK in 98. Like 
you didn't really see men in salons. Like it wasn't a thing to have men in salons, period, at the time. And if you found a guy in the salon, he was really good, but you didn't really know much about him. True. So back in the days, I can tell you, if you remember Bobby's signature? Yes. Oh my goodness. That was the era. Bobby's signature started in Surulere. We had Andy's. Andy's used to be in um, on Tejo Show Road, going towards Ojuelegba, going towards um, Tejo Show Market. Andy's used to be there. And there was one other guy, I've forgotten his name, but as it comes, it was just a handful of us probably about four or five, you know, men, you know, that are doing hair back in the days. And this was the era Banke Mishida started makeup as well. And this was the same era where Tara started makeup. And I mean, that House of Tara, you know, Tara International, we were in Lhasa together. And I can vividly remember then she started, she self-taught as well. You know, she did makeup for her friends, blah, 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 and everything. You know, so this was the era. These were the pioneers that helped to build the wedding industry. In Nigeria, 100%. So these were the people I did makeup. The, I, when they do makeup, I do hair. Either I do hair or Andy does hair or Bobby Signature does the hair. So this was the era. So it was really a handful of people that did this back in Nigeria then. But what got you into deciding that this was going to be a bit, was it, did it start off with, okay, this is my side hustle. I can make money. The girls like me. I'm good company. And actually I'm, I'm making more cash doing this than anything else. And to be fair, like in Nigeria at the time, there was no real, like there was no Uber. Students now have the opportunity to have Uber and, and make an additional income, right? You either got the money from your parents or you didn't. There was no, there were no part-time jobs. No. So for me, anybody that understood Lagos State University, and it's still not even Lagos State University, it generally the ASU, Academic Staff Union of Universities, the strikes and everything, 91 to 93, 93 to 95, schools were shut down. I was one of those that were affected. Actually, I attended university for 10 years before I was able to bag my bachelor's degree. Oh my God. Because I gained admission in 1991. The school was shut down from 91 to 93. It was reopened again. We had to go back and take JAMB again. And it got shut down again, 93 to 95. So during that period, I mean, rather than me getting frustrated, you know, I decided to use my hands, you know, get myself busy, get myself preoccupied doing things, you know, so I decided to just venture into hair, which was a natural talent I had. And like I rightly said, there was a lady that lived next door to us. I mean, in December that year, her stylist, they all ran away. They went oh, to wow. do their own PP, you know, so she had too many people lined up wanting to do her hair and she, their mm. hair and she was frustrated. So I volunteered to help her rather than stay at home. I was like, can I help you wash the hair? She was like, oh, no, 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 thank you. I said, no, seriously, can I help you wash their hair? You know, and they obliged. The people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, come wash my hair. So I went washing the hair and I finished washing up everybody's hair. She was putting them in the rollers and putting them under the dryer. Nobody to wash their hair. And I was like, so can I help you put the hair in the rollers? She was like, no, 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 no. One of the ladies said, no, if he washed our hair, he washed it clean. Let him put our hair in the rollers. You know, and I started, what style do you want to do? Once they tell me, I pat the hair. You know, back in the days, you pat it in the middle. I'm sorry, yeah. left side, the right side. Yes. You do the middle first, middle, you do the yeah. sides, down, you do the back. You know, so I did that and everybody was under the roller, um, under the dryer and the hair was dry. When I'm beginning to have people wait in line to have their hair styled. Next question was, can I help you put cream in the base of their scalp? I was doing that and there were still a lot of people, you know, a lot of backlog, people waiting. And my next question was, can I help them style their hair? She was like, oh, no, 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 Shegun, I have to do this myself. One of the ladies said, you know what? If you could wash our hair, if you could roll them, if you could base the cream, I will have him style my hair. And I styled that lady's hair and that was the beginning of it for me you know so i spent my five years 91 to 93 working as a hairstylist 
from one salon to another salon to another salon until 96 when I decided to open my own salon because we were underpaid. I worked at Her Majesty in Festac 21 Road, C-Close. I cannot forget. You remember the address I remember the address, yes. 21 Road, C-Close. It's Her Majesty. And in a month, we made over half a million. I'm talking about 1996, actually 95 this time. You know, and they paid us maybe 5,000 Naira. Oh my goodness. As a stylist. You know, at that point, I decided, you know what? I'm going to start my own business. Lesson 101 in employee retention. If your business is making enough money and can sustain it, pay your staff, please. The owner of the business never knew anything about hair or makeup, nothing. We did the hair and I promise you, all of us at that point in time, we decided to leave the salon and we started our own thing. And that was how I started. You know, my mom giving me money, I think it was 50,000 naira. Then I had 50,000 saved. I opened my own shop in 96. And, you know, that was how all of that started. You know, so that's actually just taking you back, you know, my journey from how I got into all of this. So for me, even coming to America, I planned coming here to do journalism because I studied English language. That was my dream. That was my vision to better myself, better future. But I never thought I'll even continue doing hair until I arrived here. I figured out you have your degree translated in America. You have to have a social security number. You have to have this. You have to have that. You know, and I just had to resolve back to what I knew how to do. And so you arrive and your sponsor is nowhere to be found. Oh, that is even a separate story. Yes. With no coat, no warm clothing. With no coats, no socks, no gloves, nothing. And I wasn't even warned. I didn't, I wasn't told. You know, this wasn't the era of you can get on Google and search anything because we're using flip phone those days, those Motorola flip yes. phones, those yes. razor flip phones. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> The fact that you could even roam was a thing when you landed. Exactly. So I remember payphones. I arrived using payphones, and that is where I was actually going to go. So this guy saw me walking out of the plane, and he was like, "Dude, are you crazy?" I looked at him. I was like, "He said you're going to get frostbite. You're going to freeze to death." I still did not understand what he was saying. He was like, "Where is your jacket? Where are your stuff?" I'm like, "Um, my luggage is. I'm going to pick it up." You know, and unfortunately, that was the last flight Nigeria Airways flew from Nigeria. My luggage did not come. I ended up not having clothes. You know, only the small laptop bag I had was what I had with me. The guy had to quickly take me into a flea market, bought me a jacket. He helped me to get a jacket, helped me to get socks and gloves. That was how I was able to keep myself warm. My friend never picked up his phone. I had to call my friend in London. Who knew I was coming to America? And when I narrated my story to her, my friend had to call her brother in Atlanta and told him, you know, Shegun, he said, yes. He said, well, he's in New York. He is stuck, but he's not going back to Nigeria. So whatever you can do, do to accommodate him. Flying 14 hours from Lagos to New York, I had to get on Greyhound because I barely came with $870, which was not enough to book a flight from New York to Atlanta. A one way was not enough because as of that night, it was 1250. I cannot forget those figures. You know, so I had to get on a Greyhound bus and rode 13 hours to Atlanta. And that was how I got to Atlanta. And from Atlanta, thank God I met somebody that owns an African store where I went to buy something. I just looked up and I saw the lady's last name. I was like, um, are you related to so so person? She said, yes, that's my husband's younger sister. I was like, oh, wow, she's my friend. And they were like, really? I said, yes. I now told them, oh, she was like, are you the one that does their hair in Lasso? I said, yes. That was how she advised me and told me, you know what? I'm going to talk to somebody if you can be doing hair for them. And that was how I started doing hair in America. Incredible. Yes. Incredible. So that is my story in a nutshell. Wow. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. 
Malayships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. So <laughs> 10 years at university on account of, unfortunately, bad governance of, yes. of our country. I remember the time because actually I think one of my siblings was in a similar. It was like, well, even if you write the jam, but like there's no schools, the schools. No school to go. Yeah, no school to go. I think it was like, do you spend a year just waiting and hoping? And for a lot of people, they waited and hoped for longer than a year, you know, and then some people, they would lose your results. So then you had to do jam again. It was such a mad time, very uncertain. And it almost mirrors, you know, at least the world has got it together now with, you know, virtual teaching and all of that. But there was no virtual anything then. There were strikes and that was it. The teachers weren't even willing to teach anyway. So it was such a mad, mad time. But I, I love the fact, and thank you so much for being so candid and open on the episode, because I think a lot of people will see your success. One, they, they have a number of questions, right? How much money could you possibly be making? And then two, at the height of being Shagun Gili, where you're teaching and walking into auditoriums of thousands of women who want to emulate your success, I don't think they realized or knew how, or know even how you got to where you were. Like, And I think a lot of the time people think it's overnight. They think it just happens. They don't realize the hard skills, the soft skills, the personal challenges and obstacles that you're facing along following your passion. Because at this point, you're like, okay, journalism is out the question and you're surviving, right? And you have the skill set that's allowing you to survive. Now, where does that translate from? I'm no longer surviving, but this is now something that is my job. Okay. So fast forward my visa from when I came into Atlanta and of course, you know, you have the six months period to stay. And I had a lot of people, oh, don't mess up your visa, don't mess up your visa. So, and looking back at everything, I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go back to Nigeria. You know, I am done. I am tired. I had a good life back in Nigeria. I had a salon. And I, I could remember the very first salon I was going to walk in, the lady refused me washing hair. She refused me doing cornrows. She refused me doing eyebrow. The, I mean, things I knew how to do, things I have done for years because I needed a certification to be able to do that. So guess what? That's why I tell people when you come to America, forget who you are, not even only America. When you leave the shores of Nigeria and you go into another country, forget who you were. Be ready to start from the scratch. I started as an apprentice with the American lady. All I did was I had to be the shampoo, the, yeah, it's called the shampoo boy. You know, so I had to be the one to wash the hair for all the clients. And she never even allowed me to do cornrow. This is coming from a person who had already had his own salon. You had your employees. And I wasn't even a salon owner. I was hands-on. I thought i teach them how I want it done. I was a weave expert. Not these days that they do the weave, they sew your weave, they do it on a weave cap. You know, not all of that, no. You know, I do my closures, I cut the hair with razor, I style. Show me the magazine, I will cut your hair into that style. That's the kind of hairdresser I was. At the peak of my frustration, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to Nigeria. My flight was going to leave on the 27th of April. I had a wedding on Saturday, which was the 26th. I'll go back to that year and check of April. And it was a friend's wedding. I did that wedding. There was a lady that I saw walking down in the parking lot, beautifully dressed, but she had a man's cap on. I just walked up to her. I was like, um can I help you do your hair tie? She was like, no, I'm going into the bathroom. I'm going to find somebody to do it. I said, no, can I help you do your hair tie? She was like, oh, no, 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 serious, serious. No, 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 it's okay. I said, no, you know what? Let me do your hair tie. If you do not like it, I'm going to give you $5. She looked at me. She was like, that's daring. She said, okay, you know what? Do my hair tie. If you like it, I'll give you $7. And I did her hair tie. I didn't know who she was. I did her hair tie. I didn't know people were watching me at the parking lot. And the minute I was done, she took out her $7 and handed it over to me. And the people at the parking lot started applauding me. I didn't know she was a public figure in Atlanta. I did not know she was one of the top socialites in Atlanta. She entered that wedding and a lot of people turned around. They were like, ah, what is going on? Who did your hair tie? She said, the boy is at the parking lot. He's charging $5. People started coming. I did 
head ties that day, I made $265 at the parking lot, at the peak of my frustration. Wow. $265 divided by divided five. Divided by so five. Did, That's 53 people. 53 people, yes. At the peak of my frustration. Wow. So that was how it all started. I still left for Nigeria. And when I went home, you know, I was like, okay, you know what? It was a totally different story, you know, and I couldn't just even deal with the Nigerian situation anymore. Within a month, it was totally different for me. And um, I just had to call my friends. I was like, you know what? I need to go back to America. I still have a two years multiple, you know, and I was able to book one or two weddings. And that very day, I made enough money to buy my flight ticket. I bought my ticket and I left back for America. By the time I came back to America in June, I'd already had people looking for me to do hair ties for them. Wow. Echo Club was amazing. The members of Echo Club, if you know Atlanta, they do parties. They were looking for me. So the minute I came back, they were like, oh, they're looking for you to do hair tie they're looking for you to do hair tie and the whole story changed have you decided to start charging more than five dollars it was actually still five dollars wow it was still five dollars then i had to relocate from atlanta because i had accommodation issues i relocated i started staying with my cousins in houston so when i came into houston i met a friend called haja miriam she's actually another socialite she does her own hair tie very well my cousin was married to an american all the food I could eat were American food. I was like, I want to eat Nigerian food. So my cousin took me to the restaurant, Miriam's restaurant back in the days on Bissonette. And I got in there, I saw the beautiful picture with the beautiful headdress. And I was like, who did your hair tie? She said she did her hair tie. That was on the 8th of October, 2002. Okay. <laughs> 2002. Oh, I just, so my dad was a soldier. My mom is a teacher. So... <laughs> 8th of October. The structure is there, man. <laughs> so 8th of October, it was her mom's birthday. So I saw her mom walk out of the restaurant. She was beautifully dressed and she had a hair tie on. I had to ask her, I said, who did your mom's hair tie? She said she did it. I was like, you don't know how to do hair tie. She and her mom looked at themselves and they were like, what is this guy talking about? I asked her mom, I said, can I do your hair tie? The mom said, yes. So the mom sat down. I did her hair tie and that was it for me. Now she knew how to do her hair tie on her own self, but she did not know how to do on somebody else. So now the transition for me, I can do on other people, but I cannot do on myself. Because you've never had to wear one. Because I've never had to wear, exactly. You know, so that was how my story changed in America when it comes to Shegungele. At that point in time, she called me. She was like, okay, you know what? I'm even done. All these people that are calling me to be doing her tie, I'm going to refer them to you, blah, blah, blah. Immediately, she was calling her friend. Oh, Auntie, um, I, have a, I have a 50th birthday gift for you. I'm going to do your, get somebody to do your hair tie, to do this, to do that. And I went to that party. I did that lady's hair tie. She paid me, was it even $50 then? I can't even remember. At that 50th birthday, I booked three events. Then I started charging $250 to do makeup and gilly for the celebrants. They're going to change like three times. You know, so that was my journey. And at these parties, they see me. They say, what's your name? I'm like Shegun. They're like, oh, no, it can't just be Shegun. Oh, the Shegun that does gilly. They just started, oh, I'm Shegun. Which Shegun are you calling? Uh, Shegun gilly, the one that does gilly. Shegun gilly, Shegun gilly. So that was how the name stuck. Incredible. And so to put this in context, you were born with a disability. So it's incredible how the works of your hands is now what made you successful, right? Yes, it is incredible. And so that's another aspect a lot of people actually did not know about me. Growing up as a little child, I had polio. I had measles and I was one of those kids that were administered the injection wrongly, which resulted to poliomyelitis. I was partially paralyzed on my left side before I became even one year old. I mean, I'm 46, I'm going to be 47. I still have all the spots for measles on my palms and on my feet. They are still very visible. My eyes almost went blind because measles, when measles attacks, it goes to every part of your body and my eyes was um, part of where it was going to attack. So hence, a lot of people, when they see my eyes, my eyes are red. They used to put ogogoro in my eyes 
like kai kai you remember ogogoro right yeah to disinfect Ugh. good so this was me under one year old yeah but thankfully to god i mean my mom had to resign from her job at uba to take care of me the reason why i am standing today you know so i have a bad left arm a lot of people do not know you know i i actually have a disability a lot of people do not know the only thing you just notice if you see me walking from afar and you're watching me you notice my shoulders are not well leveled they're not well balanced you understand what i'm saying you know but despite all of that despite all of the i mean the disabilities things i'm supposed to take as a negative oh you know what because i'm not disabled i'm not supposed to be able to do this no i have done it all i have not limited myself to that disability and i refuse to even get a disabled tag on my car because i don't see myself as one with a disability that parking though that parking sometimes oh, well, when it's raining yes, when it's raining it is. <laughs> it is it is good it that is parking. good but i, I digress is. so mm-hmm. you're now in this space with all these women are you passionate about seeing their reaction are you passionate about them walking into the room the confidence like where for you is this oh my god like i'm actually empowering these women like they walk in looking one way walk out looking another way are you starting to find purpose in that way of your work or not yet so interestingly i remember and i think i'm quickly going to take you into the acceptance phase when i remember when i started in 2002 2003 you know i used to go from people's house i'll just tell you you know what if you can get out 10 of your friends i'm going to come so then yes 10 of your friends the price changed from $5 to $10 so at least 10 of your friends that's like $100 i'm going to come to your house do their hair ties they take it and they go and this is how much time will it take you to do 10 maybe about 5 maybe about 5 10 maybe 5 10 minutes per person yeah so let's say like an hour you know so and i never had a car so i always schedule friends to take me drop me off and come back pick me up and everything acceptance was a big deal in america back then and mostly the people that goes to a lot of party are the ibo people so when the women say oh they want to go do their hair which of them will be like come on get out how can you go and be doing your hair tie with a man you'll be allowing another man to touch your head it's not possible <laughs> yeah, wear it you want to wear exactly yeah yeah um point whatever way you want to wear wear your yeah. pantsuits they used to wear pantsuits you know they used to wear pantsuits they used to wear jeans they used to wear skirts to parties and their hats nigerian parties you know and when they now come for context cuz the gele is a yoruba thing right it's because it's called gele in the yoruba it's ichafu in igbo you know different cultures have different names they call all these things because of the owambe the party the lifestyle is more of yoruba people you know so the gele actually just stuck okay so the men will be like no just wait whichever way. so when they now come to parties they see other their friends wife looking beautiful they be like eh hey, hey, she be na this person wife be that who tie for him the wife will now tell her she be na person we see make her go make her no go mix na tie for him that one uncle who do him he's the same person that did it so it took them seeing their friends wife looking better than their wives for them to accept me doing their wives hair ties cuz no one really talks about everyone just lumps africans or nigerians together but no one really talks about the tribal nuances the level of acceptance traversing tribally right like because yes we're all from the same continent but tribally there are huge differences there are huge differences So now you're at the fore of that, right? Breaking into the space. Yes. You know, there were huge differences and thankfully my mom is Igbo, my dad is Yoruba, so I understand both culture. I was born in Calabar. I speak a bit a bit of um Ibibio ethic. I understand, you know, and my mom was born in the north, Zaria. My dad lived in the north. They speak a bit of Hausa. So I understand more of the culture you know so it took a while for the community to accept me as a man in a woman's field it took a very long while thankfully down the line i look at it in america women are babas a lot of men are nurses they're not strong gender based roles yeah exactly you know you find ladies working as mechanic engineering fields and everything you know so it it took a while and probably my social orientation my deep roots in my moral standing you know i did not compromise myself 
You know, I did not simply because I'm working in a feminine field. I know a lot of people have assumed or presumed, you know, my gender based on what I do. Your sexual orientation. Yeah, exactly. I did not allow all of that to take me away from the focus, to take me away from the goal. I stood straight to the curse of what I did. You know, so acceptance was a big deal, but eventually I got accepted. You know, so down the line today, I look at the industry, you know, and I find out it's a lot of men. That's one of my questions. And I don't want us to touch on that yet because I, I want I want <laughs> us to kind of close with that because I okay. think, to be honest, like anyone can pick up their phone, look on Instagram, type bride, right? African bride. And literally, it doesn't matter where you are, Ghana, Nigeria, everyone is rocking a ghillie and designed, styled because of you. That doesn't happen. Like, you know what I mean? Like to change the course, even South Africans, right? Like normally South Africans just tie shwe shwe or whatever. Like for them, it's different, right? And so you've created something and then push past the early days. And now you're doing head wrap expos to thousands of people walking on big stages like Tony Robbins. Hi, everybody. I'm going to show you how I do it. And then you're doing CNN and CNN is running a story as the guy who's creating these artistic things out of, you know, a fabrics heavily. Like at what point, or was there ever a point where you kind of took a step back and it would be twofold. One, turning passion into profit, was the money there for you to kind of go, okay, this is mad? Or was it a, how are all these people interested in me? Like, how do you build a craft, build the brand, build all these different things all at the same time to land up where you are? Like, I know that is like five questions in one, but <laughs> you can try to answer it. I know you're, sh you're short on time, so I'm trying to squeeze it all in. <laughs> I mean, CNN was actually the grace of God because I never even envisioned I was going to get on CNN, not just once, twice, three times. I am grateful to God for that. Now, and I think the reason for that to answer your question is, unlike the way they do the gillet now, everybody has the same look, the same style. You know, each woman, if I tie gillet for 20 women, they are different on each one of them. They fit the face uniquely. So what I did then is I look at the way you're dressed, I look at your facial structure, and I create something that fits your body type, fits your personality. Not a lot of people, I look at your charisma, I look at how you can carry it. If you want to go all the way out, I give you that. If you just want to be, you know, just your prim and proper self, I give, you know, so I think that was one thing that really, really stood me out from every other person. And I think, yes, that actually did it for me. That is one. Was there a profit in it? I promised you, I did gilly. We're talking about 2003 to 2006, I opened my own studio and Houston is a party city. I would do Gilead Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And each of the weekend, I made nothing less than $500 to $700 doing Gilead $10, $10. Each of the day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Just on Gilead's? Just on Gilead, yes. And taking care of um, the celebrant at parties. So that answers the question. There was a, there was money in it for me. You know, I remember when I did my 40th birthday and um, I invited friends from Nigeria, from all over the world. I, Shagun Gili was able to acquire a visa for, I think, about 40 people to come for my birthday. You know, that name at the Nigerian embassy back then, it did it for me. And a lot of people will come and they'll now be like, ah, don't be looking at him. Oh, he's Shegungili, Shegungili. He bought his first house. He's Shegungili, Shegungili. He married. He brought his wife to America. He's Shegungili, Shegungili. He's bought his second house, blah, blah, blah. I did it. And I'm not one of those people that eats with my 10 fingers. No, I saved. I am one of those people back in the days, if I want to buy a car, I saved my money until I have the money to buy the car. I bought my car cash. You know, because I'm used to the Nigerian system. If you're going to pay your rent, you're paying your rent two years down the line. So I, I never got stuck up in this credit system in America. Even till now, my I, I mean, I tell you, I don't use credit card. If I don't have the money, I don't spend it. 
you know, so that has been my culture. It is still there. I know what my values are, what my needs are, what my wants are, and I use it the best way I can. So there was money in it for me, okay? And that was what I have helped to help other people understand. If you go into a business just for money, then once there is no more money in it, you are tired, you get burnt out. But if you do it out of passion, out of love, out of the burn, you understand what I'm saying? Then you last in it longer. I can clearly tell you I am still in the industry, even though I am no longer in it the way it is supposed to be because everybody from Nigeria is relocated to America and the easiest thing they can do is makeup and gele. So the industry has been watered down. I was going to ask you about the dilution <laughs> because because now it's a dilution, right? Like Because now every young girl has an Instagram, can promote her makeup, because makeup artistry is now in great supply in exchange for the great demand of it, right? Like at the time, I think the African traditional makeup look in the same way like Arabs or Indians have a specific look they go for. It's very overdone, right? Like you wouldn't get that same look at a Mac counter or a makeup counter, right? Like you had to go to a specific artist. Now that's now more commonplace. There, there are people who are at the top, right? Like everyone looks forward to their looks. And to be fair, their looks are just recreations of the same thing. Taking that and saying, okay, next step. But before that, I, I think I, I have a question here, which I must ask. How many brides have you styled? Do you keep count? Sincerely, even if you ask me how many brides I've worked with last year, I cannot, I can't remember. Thousands? I, I promise you. <laughs> I can. I cannot remember. I've lost count. Incredible. Thank you for answering that kindly for me. <laughs> we can get back to the part of the conversation where we're talking about you transitioning. So the industry is changing fast as it does. And you're only one person. So was there a point where you're thinking, do I scale? I'm only one person. You're being flown around everywhere in the world for people to have the Shegungili experience, right? That this is happening. Was the turning point for you when you're thinking about scaling because there's just you or what created that turning point for you where you, you started thinking, okay, how sustainable is this given the change that's happening in the industry? There was a time I actually started looking into probably cloning myself, you know, so rather than me turn down jobs, I'll be able to take two or three jobs in a particular day, you know, and the way I decided to do that was to look for other people that I can empower to help them do the same thing I do you know, and help them make a living out of it like I have done, you know, but um, excuse my French, these people are not loyal. The minute you try to, I've, I've tried and I really got burnt out. So that was, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to bite as much as I can chew what I cannot take. I'm just going to let it go. You know, I've tried helping people and I got burnt. So I, I just decided I'm not, I'm not even going to go that route. Down the line, when the industry started getting watered down, I took into IT. I got trained as an electronical medical record um, person. So I, I helped um, doctors and physicians and nurses. But is, is this because the business was getting slower for you? It was one because you can imagine me charging 250 back in the days for makeup session and they gladly paid. It dropped down to 175. It dropped down to 125. I mean, I understand the economy, you know, but when it gets to people calling you and they are telling you my budget for makeup is $40, not minding the high-end makeup brands I use. Somebody called me, oh, Mr. Shekin, um, we, we need you to do our makeup and gilly. It's four of us. And I told her, you know what? It's four of you. It's going to be 125 each, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, ah, no, they can only pay $45 for makeup and gilly. That's also person charge X, Y, Z. I was like, then go to that person. I said, I'm not. He said, it's four of us. So it's four of us. She can do it. You know, and I was like, I'm not going to undersell myself. At that point in time, I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to call it a quit. You know, and because I would rather, because at that point in time, I would do the job grudgingly. I'm not going to give my all. I'm not going to give my best to do the job. I think that was the point I decided, you know what? This is not it for me any longer. 
yes, I, I picked on to other things. I now decided to do makeup only for those that can afford my services as at then. You know, styling brides, I was like, okay, so why should I keep a makeup studio when I'm going to be paying rent of about $750 a month? What I do not make, I ended up not making that money because a lot of people work from home. You know, so people will just rather go to that person to do their makeup at home, go to them to do their gilly in their houses. They don't have any over rents. No, I decided, you know what, I'm going to close my studio. So I closed my studio down two years ago. This is the third year going. A lot of people did not know, you know, and um, I stopped to my EMR working as an epic consultant, flying from one state to another. And down the line, I decided to go into full IT, you know, so now I work as an agile coach. You know, um, I have been a scrum master and um, I work as an agile coach with um, Shell and um, that has actually been fulfilling. Now, styling is my passion. I still style brides. And once I'm done with this call, I'm going to continue with my styling conversation with my bride. So hold on. You've gone from nine to five at Shegungele. Now you're now five to nine at Shegungele. I still have my brand, Gapsell Foods which yes. I own. I was going to touch on that now. Okay, yes. You know, and I still do that as well. Health and weight loss came into the picture at some point for you. It had to come because before I turned 40, I am one of those people that, you know, I was like, am I sure I'm going to live to be 40? Am I sure? You know, because I was overweight, I was obese, I had diabetes, you know, and um, high blood pressure. So I was always afraid. So that was a turning point for me. I was like, I cannot put my family in this situation. So that was a turning point. I decided to take my health serious. So I lost 82 pounds on keto, you know, which is a high fat, low carbohydrate type, which actually helps to regulate my blood sugar. I went from A1C 6.9 to 5.7 from highly diabetic to pre-diabetes, you know, and a lot of people kept asking, how did you do it with Nigerian food? You know, how did you do it? You know, and I decided to look into producing the cabbage fufu, the eggplant fufu, which takes a lot of time, you know, and um, fortunately, I got a lead from one of my friends who is my mentor in the UK. And today we have Gapsell Foods with, I think, 13 different brands. The glycemic index is so, so low. So I do my styling. I work as an agile coach and I still own my business, Gapsell Foods. You know, and of course, I'm a father. <laughs> yes, you've got and a husband. three incredible children. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thank you. We thank God for that. So, yeah, gorgeous that, children. that has been it for me. Incredible. Well, I want to say for anyone getting into the service industry, whether that's makeup artistry, styling, do you have any advice for them? Go with your passion. Make sure it's something. So I always told people, if you want to do anything, and you want to last longer in it, think about it. Make sure it's something when they wake you up to come and do it, you will be glad to do it without you grudging. I can go to work from morning till when I come back and my wife tells me, oh, can you help me cook? I can go straight into the kitchen and cook. You know, some of them saying, you can wake me up to do makeup, I will gladly do it. You can wake me up to talk about even Scrum, what I do, work as an agile coach. You know, I will gladly do it. For you to pick up anything, make sure it is something you have a passion for. You know, so first of all, figure out that thing you love to do, you enjoy doing. And the way my mom did it was, for every time I styled my mom's hair, my mom gave me 20 naira. She said, I'm not paying you, but just use it to buy Coke for yourself or buy 7-Up or Fanta back in the days. You know, and that motivated me. Yes, I mean, money is a major motivating fact, you know, but take a look at it. Apart from it being passionate, you know, being a passionate thing, make sure it is something that is in demand. You know, that is one thing that is going to keep you there for a very long time. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Oh, on social media, it's at Shegungele, spelled S-E-G-U-N-G-E-L-E. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Anywhere, it's at Shegungele. Thank you so much, Shegun, for joining us on this week's episode. I am so honored that you chose to be so candid and share so much with us. Thank you. The pleasure is always mine, and I look forward to coming back. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. We are building a community of leaders and game changers and would love you to join in the conversation on thirdcultureafricans.com. Subscribe for news, for tips and more useful resources on today's topic and more episodes to ignite and inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Carry on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Third Culture Africans. Your ratings and reviews are important to us, so please leave one on your favorite streaming platform and help us amplify our voices. Until next time, you are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started.